This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. My name is Nell Hensi. Uh, I'm a writer, director from the west of Ireland, uh, currently based in Dublin. Um, I co-wrote uh, Good Ships with Bridget uh, and also directed. Um, I'm kind of generally interested in stories about outsider identities uh, and coming of age themes and, and female characters. So that's kind of my vibe. Hi, my name is Bridget Maikang Leahy. I'm a writer, actor, and producer. I'm originally from Orange County, California, but for the last nine years, I've been based in Dublin, Ireland, and I am the co-writer and co-producer of Good Ships. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all of Congratulations uh, to both of you for outstanding work. Good Chips, the, the short film that you both uh, made is such a delight to watch and, and gives so much insight into the world that we hear Vietnamese American, the Vietnamese American diaspora often we don't think about that there's communities of color in a country like Ireland. It's just not on our radar. So bringing that to the world is such a special thing to see. Yeah, um, I think it is really unusual for people to think about um, Vietnamese people settling in Ireland and to have a Vietnamese community that is thriving here. Um, I think I read an article recently that said that Ireland actually, uh, it's projected by like 2025, that one in five people will actually be non-nationals who, who live here. So Ireland is actually a very diverse place um, with a lot of diverse stories. So we were so excited to tell um, one of those stories. Can you tell me how you both met? So Bridget and I, we met maybe two or three years ago now. But um, we were part of this uh, artist group called West Studio, which is run by the Dublin Fringe Festival. And it's specifically for supporting artists of colour in the creation of new work and to kind of get to know each other. Because I think a lot of the times when you are a minority artist in Ireland, um, it's it can feel quite isolating. So it's really nice to kind of have a space where we can kind of, we're all in a similar boat, even though we come from like different backgrounds. Like as Bridget said, she's, Irish American Vietnamese and I'm half Filipino half Irish so even though our like backgrounds are necessarily the same we still have a lot of things in common and like a lot of the themes and stories we're interested in um kind of overlap so um I kind of came up with the initial idea for Good Ships during this program and then I I approached Bridget with the idea uh, and I also just really loved her work ethic I loved how she her approach to storytelling so it was just a great uh way for us to to start a project together as well. Can you tell me about the origin of the story and how you came up with it? Yeah, so I was actually, I was researching for another project and RT, which is like Ireland's national um, 
broadcaster but they also like do a lot of archival stuff they have a public archive for for news footage so I was looking at this this news footage from 1980s Ireland um and I came across this clip that was that explored the 212 Vietnamese refugees who came over to Ireland in 1979 so they were the first cohort to come over and the news clip was kind of it takes place 10 years later and it was kind of seeing how they were adjusting to like their new lives um and in the news clip uh, there's an interview with um, one of the so the daughter of this Vietnamese family and she's she's just it was such a character she had like the thickest North Dublin accent and she was talking about how she had met her Irish boyfriend and she was just so charismatic that I was like oh my god I just need to write a story about this character um, and then it kind of once Bridget was on board like it kind of spiraled in terms of like what her parents would be going through and like the the story really branched out then it's so random, right, Bridget, that you have somebody who's not of Vietnamese origin finding this story and then finding you to come on board to to help write it. Yeah, it was actually um, kind of a match made in heaven. So I actually came to Ireland uh, nine years ago to do a master's degree in in public history and cultural heritage and my research actually focused on the Vietnamese boat people who came here and how they uh, commemorated the Vietnam War in comparison to other diasporic groups and um, so I was actually really well aware of that archival footage that Nell had come across as well I'd seen it um, many, many times, and it was part of my research. So we were both um, part of this artist collective. And uh, she's like, hey, I came across this and um, approached me. I was like, that's really weird because I, <laughs> I did loads of research on this topic. So it like worked out so, so well. Talk, talk about Match Made in Heaven, right? Yeah. Strange thing. And and now this is before, so you had this idea before you met Bridget or after? It was kind of during that that uh, Weft Studio program, which took place over like, I think, three or four months. So like during that time, we all had our own individual projects we were working on. And it was, yeah, just something that kind of came came I came across during it. But like Bridget and I had had a few sessions and classes together. So we did know each other. But but it was like like you say, it was a real match made in heaven. Like I think it was something that was really meant to be because as well, like Bridget and I just work so well together. Like we, you know, we're just such good friends as well, which is something that like happened during the program as well. So to not only find the perfect project for uh, for us to work on, but also to find like the perfect creative partner, which is really, really hard to find, you know, was was really special. So yeah, I, I, I count my blessings definitely. Yeah, I always talk about this theme in in the arts and in creative endeavors it's luck has a lot to do with these things and you know being able to pull into or from the ether these stories and collaborations it's a it's a strange thing that happens in the world kind of similar to that I, I always remember a, an old mentor of mine kind of talked about like the crossroads of success and how that is but like the crossroads is like between like luck and like good timing, but also preparation and like where you're at as an artist in, at the at the time that these opportunities present themselves. And I think it really is kind of fated in that way that that Bridget and I 
you know, could find each other and and had this project. And, and like, it's still something that's such a big part of our lives now. Like we, we're, we're still, like we're working on a feature film based off Good Chip. So the, the journey is not over for us by any means, but it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful journey. So grateful for it. Would you both be able to talk a little bit about the um the good chip story without giving away too much i mean i don't know how the public uh generally will be able to view it but uh, if you could talk a little bit about the actual story itself so the story uh like nell said uh takes place 10 years after the vietnamese the initial first wave of um boat people arrived in ireland um from uh various refugee camps um, post uh, Vietnam War. And so, uh, like Nell mentioned, 212 uh, Vietnamese refugees came to Dublin, Ireland in 1979. It was uh, a very small group. Ireland is a very small country. I think the population's like 6 million here, and it would have possibly been smaller back in 1979. Um, Ireland during that period would have been going through a lot of economic turmoil. So um, I think there was a lot of pressure from the UN for Ireland to take in refugees during that period. But since they were going through an economic crisis, um, I think they agreed only to a very small amount, which is why the community uh, was so small in Ireland. So the story takes place 10 years after that, and it follows our main character, Tam. And uh, she uh, has grown up in Ireland. Um, she's about like 13 years old. And so, you know, really at the um, start of adulthood, and she's helping her parents run a Chinese takeaway van. Um, so the, the Vietnamese in Ireland, um, especially that that particular group, they would have gotten involved in a lot of food businesses. That was something that they were predominantly involved in. So um, Tam's family, they run Chinese takeaway and she meets a young Irish boy and they uh, find out that they have a lot more in common than they uh, initially thought. How did you, your family, Nell, arrive in Ireland? So my mom is from uh, Manila in the Philippines and my dad is Irish. He, he grew up in the west of Ireland in uh, a county called Clare, which where, where I'm originally, where I grew up. Um, and he was working uh, in like agribusiness. So he was working abroad for many years and he was in the Philippines. And actually they uh, they were both in a scuba diving club and they met underwater <laughs> uh, while they were scuba diving. And then, yeah, they, they actually... For the first couple of years of my life, which I don't remember because I was a baby, but we actually traveled quite a lot. So I was born in Norway, actually, which is very, very random. Um, and then we moved to to my dad's hometown in Clare when I was about two or three. So, yeah, a bit all over the place, but uh, well, well settled in now. What was it like for both of you to grow up Asian in Ireland? Because it's predominantly white and I can't imagine what that experience was like I think Bridget and I might have slightly different takes on this just because Bridget came over during college while I, I kind of really grew up from as a child but like I I come from a very rural community um I actually live on a on a sheep farm <laughs> in the middle of nowhere so 
And I went to uh, an all-girls secondary school and it was very, very rural, very, quite white. But we, like, I did actually have a lot of, um, like, Ennis was was quite a diverse uh, town in itself. Like, we had a lot of Brazilians, we had a lot of people from Sudan. So I was kind of the only um, Irish Filipino, but, uh, like, it was, a, it was an interesting balance of, like, Irish and um and international as well but actually so in the secondary school system you can choose to do this optional year called transition year um and it's it's kind of a year that's not so academically focused and you can like you can kind of focus on more practical things and that's kind of when I started getting into filmmaking actually but I remember from transition year onwards I was the only um not fully white Irish person in my in my year of like a hundred maybe 100 150 people so that was um interesting but like I, I don't know I've always kind of I'm I'm very in touch with my Irish side like I do very much consider myself as an Irish person as much as a as a Filipino and like for me I think my journey through my kind of early 20s and stuff is is trying to connect more with my Filipino side which is something that having grown up in, in this like this aspect in a world like rural Ireland is something that I haven't been able to access as much. So that's kind of been my experience so far. Oh, very cool. Still working on it. Yeah. And Bridget, what was it like for you uh, nine years ago when you first arrived in Ireland? Yeah. So I've spent the majority of my adult life in Ireland. Now I moved here when I was 22. So um, in a way I kind of grew up, <laughs> uh, but um I grew up in Orange County where uh, there's little Saigon. So I was surrounded by Vietnamese culture and Vietnamese restaurants and uh, customs. And my mom's whole family is nearby and we'd celebrate that and Harvest Moon Festival. And um, so when I first came here, I really, uh, I, I had a realization that I had taken all of that for granted because I, um, I, you know, wasn't surrounded by Vietnamese people any longer, or even Asian people. So uh, when I came here, it was uh, a little interesting for me, because I found myself seeking out um, the Vietnamese community. And uh, that involved my research as well. So when I decided on my research topic for my master's degree, um, I started to seek out the Vietnamese community. And I became really good friends with uh, the family who opened um, one of the first Vietnamese restaurants in Ireland. And um, my friend Kim, her father, he was one of the original 212 uh, refugees that came over and they um, they had opened a restaurant here. So I finally had access to pho and <laughs> so that helped a lot. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was really, really interesting. and. Um, my my background is Irish uh, American Vietnamese, so I came here thinking, you know, I would really get in touch with my Irish heritage. When um, I actually got a really nice mix of both, um, I found myself seeking out my Vietnamese side as well. Uh, fun fact: um, I uh, had in the early days when I first started my podcast, I interviewed. Um, somebody that was the founder of a TV station in Little Saigon, Little Saigon TV. And um, a few years later, I met 
somebody else who uh, her name is Teresa Meyer Wright and spoke to both of them. And I didn't realize who they were. I didn't realize their relationships. And then I met you, Bridget, and it all came together. <laughs> and it's so interesting because the first person was your uncle uh, who owns a little uh, Saigon TV. And, and then it was your mother and I couldn't put the pieces together, but uh, realized that they are brothers and sisters. So you come from a long lineage of media people here in Orange County. Um, they're they're like royalty in in Orange County uh, TV media in the media space. So, uh, shout out <laughs> to your family. Don't let my mom hear you say that. It'll go straight to her head. Oh my god. <laughs> in terms of living in ireland for both of you what sort of challenges uh are there uh in being vietnamese or are, are there not really challenges like we have in the united states the biggest challenge here is that the community is smaller it's very tight-knit and um i think they support each other a lot we we do support each other a lot they there's a um an annual that um celebration um it's in a hotel every year and it's organized by um, my friend's family who had the Vietnamese Irish Association. Um, but I think that the biggest difference is because the community is so much smaller here, uh, you, you don't um, get the same like immersion as you would in the United States. You know, you could go to Little Saigon or probably San Jose or uh, Houston and really feel like, oh, I could be in Vietnam right now. So I think like that's one of the biggest differences. Mm. I think as an artist, especially, I, I find it difficult because um, with Philippine, I'm not as um, involved in the Filipino community here. I wish I was, but I, I think it's just because, you know, um, I just naturally I'm more in Irish spaces. And, I, and I'm, it's something that I'm kind of like trying to unpack a little bit more. But with being a Filipino artist, one thing I struggle with is finding other Filipino artists that there's very, very like I, I've really struggled to find other other ones. And like I think I was I think it was actually during Wethbridge. And I think when we were like, you know, it was in my mid 20s, the first time I actually met another Filipino artist and they were U.S. based. So for me it's always been quite an isolating experience in that way and it's kind of I think made me a bit like anxious about doing Filipino stories because when you are like you feel like the only one in like it's kind of uh, not a lot it's a bit of pressure but it's also kind of like um that's one thing that was really special about Good Chips I think is like there was such a sense of community and like the Vietnamese community were so embracing of the project like they welcomed us into their homes they fed us they gave us props they were behind the camera, they were in front of the camera. And I think that was really, really special. And like, I, I am working on a, a Filipino um, film script at the moment. And I would like to kind of find my people in that sense. But it is, um, it is something I've found uh, quite difficult up to now. Yeah. Speaking of difficulty, making a short film in the United States is already a very tough thing to do. It's, it's very difficult for young filmmakers to get the money, find the people. I cannot imagine how difficult it is in Ireland. How did you both manage to pull this off? Is is it easier to make 
art in the United States, like versus like Europe. And um, I would say it's probably easier to make art in Europe than it is in the United States oh, wow. because there are a lot more resources and public funding for art that just isn't existent that I know of in, in the US. Um, so here in, in Ireland, we have um, funding bodies such as Screen Ireland and the Arts Council. And uh, we actually got our funding through an award. So we got we won an award called the Virgin Media Discovers Award. And it's an award that's run in partnership with Virgin Media and Screen Ireland. So we went through a really rigorous process um, with like an application and then like several rounds, a final pitching like interview. And um, then we received the funding. So I would say the support here is a lot more um, prevalent than it is in, in the US. You wouldn't get any sort of public funding um, in the US that, that I know of. Yeah, so like just in general, what we've been finding is like European bodies and, and in fairness, Ireland is quite good for it. Like there is so much um, like opportunities in public funding while it, it appears that in the, in the US it's all very private based and it's kind of like it's either micro budgets or like very extreme big Hollywood budgets and there's not a lot of in between. While in Europe, it's kind of more, it's more accessible and it's more mid-range. And in fairness to the Irish industry, in the last few years, I've noticed, which has kind of allowed filmmakers like myself and Bridget to kind of prosper a lot more, is that the industry is really focusing a lot more on like diversity and inclusion and like um, that they're like the, the award we won, that was a remit of that scheme. And I think like it's it's kind of a cliche at this stage but like the Irish industry we do kind of punch a lot above our weight considering our population size and like it's I think storytelling is kind of inherently a part of who we are like it's kind of in our DNAs like we're such we're such storytellers at the end of the day that I think like our it's in our culture and I think in fairness like a lot of the these funding bodies they do recognize that there is a lot of value that can be brought overseas as well and like that the Irish industry does do quite well um in terms of writing and acting and directing kind of talents so it's it is something that they do invest in and they do they are supportive of of new voices as well more and more uh, every year I find well what a pleasure to hear uh I I've heard that same sentiment uh echoing in in Canada as well the Vietnamese Amer Vietnamese Canadian artists uh, speak of of money that comes from governments and different bodies that uh, really support the arts. And speaking to the whole Irish storytelling thing, I, I remember a few years ago, I went to a Damien Rice concert, and the <laughs> the stories within his music was off the charts. It was him and a guitar. And he captivated the audience for three and a half hours. And I remember in between this, the, 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 the songs, there was more storytelling. It was like constantly storytelling. And I've heard this about Irish people. It's a lot of storytelling and it's just told in ways that are just uh, so warm and unique uh, to, 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 to Ireland. So I, I can appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, there certainly is a strong tradition here. In fact, there are storytelling 
competitions here. I haven't been to one yet because they're always sold out. Like the tickets are gone in seconds, but you basically go to a pub or like a venue and just regular people will get up on stage and tell stories, which is so great. So I'm dying to get to one of those. Yeah, that's what an amazing cultural thing. And, you know, uh, hearing you all say today, there's only six million Ir Irish people in Ireland. It's a tiny blip. It's a it's a small country that has so much um, cultural spread around the world for the last few hundred years. It's, it's amazing to hear. I mean, uh, today we're at six million in Ireland, but I can't imagine 20, 30 years ago, there was like far fewer but made such an impact in, in the world and in, in, in cultural storytelling. Now, Ireland's uh, population would have been a lot greater pre-potato famine, if you're aware of the potato yeah. famine, which happened in the 1840s. And then there was a mass exodus and uh, a lot of death. Um, so Ireland has just as well. now... Hmm? And immigration as well. Yeah, yeah. So Ireland's um, population is just now rebounding and getting to pre-famine um, numbers. And like, uh, just a just a note about like how um, influential Irish um, art is. If you even look at the Oscars last year and how many Irish. Um, artists were were nominated and films were nominated yeah. um and then alongside as well you know uh we had two vietnamese people nominated uh which was which was fantastic so um it was a great oscars for for me anyways <laughs> both sides of my family <laughs> i think about the difficulty of finding actors in the u.s to play vietnamese parts because uh oftentimes it's the nuances especially in the language and i recognize uh the actors that you have in your films the the accents were were passable i mean and and, and very passable to believe that these people uh you know were there in ireland for about 10 years or, or so but i can't again imagine how difficult it is to cast people from such a small pool in Ireland. How did that happen? It was it was a real experience, definitely, because <laughs> uh, the acting pool uh, here is very, very white. Like, it, it's very hard to find. Um, th there is very few Asian actors. So to have to find something as specific as like a 13 year old Vietnamese girl. And, and we kind of knew we knew from the beginning, it was like this whole project hinges on finding this this person because if she doesn't exist or if we can't find her then we don't have a, a story but um I, well Bridget this is your story you, you're the one who who found Ellie really so I'll let you tell it like like Nell mentioned the the acting pool here is very small uh for Asian actors um myself being one of them and then uh finding something so specific as a 13 year old girl with uh the ability to do um, a Dublin accent uh, was was going to be impossible, but um, we worked with a casting director called Anya O'Sullivan, um, who who did call outs, and she got some tapes. There were a handful of Vietnamese actresses, um, but uh, I actually uh, found Ellie. So um, about 
seven or eight years ago, I worked at a law firm as a receptionist for the summer. So <laughs> and it's so random, like so random. And um, I had remembered that one of my colleagues had said that uh, he um, had two daughters and they were adopted from Vietnam. So I just sent him a cold email and was like, hey, uh, did the math. I think your one of your daughters might be the right age. Is Are, are they interested in acting? And um, he came back and said, yes, Ellie, Ellie is actually in drama classes and she does stage stuff, but she's never done film and um, she, she'd love to tape and she did an audition for us and was fantastic. And then um, the little girl in the film who plays her younger sister, Mai, is her sister in real life as well, Una. So Una played her her sister in the film as well. So we uh, really, really lucked out. Um, we couldn't believe that we were able to find them. So we were very lucky. Again, you think about the luck that it involves these two girls, orphans that were adopted. Is that what the story is? They were adopted from Vietnam, but um, I, I'm not entirely sure the- You're right. I mean, if you, you think about it, right? They're adopted from Vietnam and then they get to Ireland and then grow up a little bit and become actresses in, the, in a movie. And it's like mind blowing if you think about where their lives could have been had they not been brought to Ireland. Um, and Ellie does such a, an amazing job. She's such a like, a natural um and to find somebody like that is like a needle in the haystack for sure yeah and you know she, we're we're really proud of her as well because she also won best actress of the Viet film fest uh this year so uh we're really proud of her and are so happy that her uh her work has been recognized because she did an amazing job she's very professional very yeah very hardworking as well and honestly one of the best actors I've I've ever worked with like she's just so even though it was her first film and like you know there was a lot of like we did rehearsals with with her and Zach who plays Callum and um it was both of their first films so they were kind of in it together in a way which was nice but just you know she was so professional and so so on it because you know it's it's quite a big production to have to carry and like she is the lead and there is a responsibility that goes with that but I think, you know, she really, she's such a, she's so mature and she's so good at what she does. Like, and, and it's really interesting actually, because um, people watch the film and they don't realize that actually Zach and Ellie have opposite personalities to their characters. So Zach is actually quite like reserved, not, not reserved, but he's more uh, a little shy maybe, but, and Ellie is quite outgoing and, you know, but in the, in the film, you'd see them like totally transform and like Ellie especially is just like, she just totally disappears. And, and that's, you know, it's such a big transformation for, for a 13 year old girl and, a, you know, a young actor to do. And same with Zach, like he's just becomes this kind of very old man, kind of charismatic character. But like that, that's that just goes to show how great both of them are as actors, that they could really transform in that way. So, no, it's great that they're getting the recognition because they really, really deserve it. This episode is brought to you by Songkai Distillery, my only go-to gin company. Established in 2018, Songkai Distillery is Vietnam's first gin distillery founded by Daniel Nguyen, a Vietnamese American from Southern California. No matter how many people I have at my parties, we are always pouring Songkai gin. 
Sumkai Gin is handcrafted in small batches and prioritizes using botanicals and ingredients that are native and heirloom to Vietnam. The result is a product uniquely Vietnamese in taste and aroma. Sumkai is now growing to include rice wine and traditional Vietnamese herbal liqueurs similar to Amaro. Sumkai prides itself in Vietnam from the farmers who grow the fruits and herbs to the artists behind the artwork and design. Sumkai is a community effort of people who are proud to be Vietnamese and collectively embody the spirit of Vietnam. Well, I mean, let's talk about recognition for both of you. Uh, oftentimes, people think of uh, short films, well done, or calling cards for a future career. How has it changed your lives? Uh, this was actually my first film. So I come from an acting background and I just started getting into writing uh, in the pandemic. Um, so I I hadn't had very much experience in like the filmmaking behind the camera. Um part of filmmaking and so it was really like a great learning experience for me and a real confidence booster and it was really special to be able to make something that is so meaningful for the Vietnamese diaspora community as well and to capture that story um, especially a story that I had researched so long ago so I think um it's it started the beginning of a hopefully very long and successful career. <laughs> yeah, it was a very important project for me as well. Like it was the first time I'd co-written um, and Bridget was just like the most amazing collaborator. And like we like I, I love co-writing with Bridget. It's so much easier than co-writing by myself, <laughs> I find. So um, and then, yeah, I think Good Chips like up. And so I had done two shorts uh, before Good Chips. I did uh kind of an anthology experimental film which was like six kind of short films and and I was still kind of figuring out um who I was as a director and it took me quite a while to actually want like be able to see myself as a director that was a kind of a big thing for mm. me starting out was like because there, there was a lack of role models um who looked like me or came from the same place as I did that I didn't even even though I loved writing for years and years I never considered directing until the writing kind of did well and I was like had to find a director who could relate to those experiences and I just couldn't and I was like it kind of got to a point where like okay I need to I need to do it for myself and I think with Good Chips it was really the project that really opened up my eyes in terms of what a film can do and what it can be and, and it's really kind of it's definitely the type of stories I, I want to make and it was kind of my first kind of more proper mainstream drama but um yeah, just in terms of like, like working with special talent and telling stories that haven't been told before and showing faces on screen and sharing experiences that, that haven't been shown before and how important that is. And representation is something that Bridget and I talk about a lot. Um, but yeah, Good Chips kind of really started the fire there. I, I, I want to get the general sense of what it feels like, uh, because you've been to the United States now recently and have experienced this big community of Vietnamese filmmakers or Asian American filmmakers in basically the, the the central hub of the world, which is LA, Southern California. And I think that there's pros and cons with coming from a small place versus a bigger place like LA. C can you both, and this is for the sake of people, I, I want to hear this experience for the sake of creatives in smaller locales around the world. What are some of the pros and cons that you think come from 
being from a, a smaller place. Uh, and, and Bridget, you can answer both these because you come from both uh, sectors. Uh, I would like to hear what are the pros and cons of coming from a small place uh, versus a big place? I think it depends on your perspective and how you look at it. For me, it was because I came from, like I said, I came from a very rural community. I'm the first person on either side of my family to do anything remotely creative. Like it's it's such a new world for all of us. Like it, it's, but um, I remember growing up, like I hated the things that made me different. And like the fact that people couldn't like figure out where I was from and all this kind of stuff. And I just wanted to be, you know, as you are when you're growing up, you want yeah. to just fit in and be like everyone else. But actually what I find now as I grow and like I think as an artist especially it's the things that make you different and the things that make you stand out that are actually your greatest strength and I think coming from a small a small community and being kind of an outsider like feeling kind of growing up with imposter syndrome my whole life and feeling like an outsider it, it could be looked at as like oh this is a very isolating hard experience maybe I'd be better off if I was in a big city and I was surrounded more by by more people who were just like me but actually I think what it does is it gives you a lot of empathy because you can relate and you can see things from certain perspectives and I think that's kind of one thing we wanted to do especially with this film is like the whole idea is that it's not a film for just Irish people or just Vietnamese people or you know it's it, it's about finding common ground with people who don't come from a similar background as you and like it's the things that like we have in common and the things that make us different are actually, you know, things that should be celebrated as opposed to uh, seen as a hindrance. So that's kind of mm. my take on it. Yeah. I guess for me, I came from uh, the big ocean into a small pond, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, I'm from Orange County and I went to college at UCLA. So I lived in LA for many years um, before I moved here. And um, what I will say, moving here, it does feel like there can be more opportunities for me here. Um, but at the same time, there are less opportunities for me yeah. here because uh, I, I actually can very confidently say that I might be the only Asian American actress in all of Ireland, definitely the only Vietnamese American actress in all of Ireland. So, um, and then as a writer, you know, uh, I think that gives me uh, like a, a really good starting off point because I'm able to bring a very like worldly or larger perspective to to my writing I have a good understanding of like you know um American uh perspectives Vietnamese perspectives Irish perspectives so I have this uh like you know experience to draw from when creating art which I think has really helped me and so um experiencing the world and then coming to to Dublin and bringing that to my art, I think has really helped me. But at the same time, um, from an acting perspective, I think there are very few roles for me here. And uh, I think there's probably more roles for me in the United States. But um, as a writer, I think um, where I came from and all of my life experiences have informed um, the kind of work that um, I wanna create. 
when you think about the work that you do in Ireland, and this is a question for both of you, do you often think that this is a starting point for you and one day you want to get into the bigger picture in Hollywood? Or are you some, you know, your vision is like, no, we're going to make movies for Ireland and we're going to stay here for the time being and we like what we do here. You know, is there a sort of a trajectory that you all think about uh, in terms of getting more explosive and, and bigger in, in a bigger place? Yeah, it's it's something actually we've kind of been talking a lot about. I just, I co-founded a production company in the last couple of months and like our whole kind of ethos, we're called Pure Divelman Pictures and um, is, you know, it's great to make Irish stories for Irish audiences and Irish audiences like do appreciate and um, enjoy them. But as, as Bridget was talking about with the Oscars last year, like we know Irish stories can travel. Um, we know that there's an international appetite for them as well. So like the stories I'd be interested in telling going forwards would have Irish elements to them. But at the same time, it's again, it's the same with Good Chips. It's like it's not it's it's telling stories that can like go beyond borders. Um, And I think with Ireland, we were talking about like the funding bodies and how it's great to kind of starting out. Like there's a lot of schemes and public funding that, you know, you can access to make your stuff but it's quite on the grand scale of things it's it's quite small the the budgets you do get here so like you realistically feature films and tv shows they need to do co-productions with other companies in order to finance themselves so whether that's working with uk or like um continental europe or or the us and canada canada's a big one um that we collaborate with a lot like it inherently your project needs to be kind of internationally focused in order to um, be able to check the boxes on both ends. So I think for me anyway, I I like my Irish identity and Irish stories are so important. And I, I am an Irish storyteller first and foremost, and I would like to keep doing that, but with the view of bringing it to international audiences, definitely. Yeah. I think in terms of storytelling and what kind of stories that like I'm interested in, I am very aware that we're living in an increasingly globalized world where um, people migrate far more often than maybe we used to. And there's a lot of diversity within communities. Not everyone is, you know, from the same place and has ancestors that go back to like the Vikings or something like that. You know, I, I think because the world is becoming increasingly more diverse and more globalized, that there probably will be an appetite for stories kind of like similar to mine, you know, growing up in one place, moving to another, um, marrying someone from another country, having kids uh, uh, grow up in a different culture. I, I think that's probably a story that would resonate with a lot of people. And so um, that definitely is in the back of my mind when creating stories. And in terms of going bigger and going to like, quote unquote, Hollywood and, and the United States, um, I think naturally I would like to progress there. Um, I have I have an American passport, so I might as well use it. And uh, so, yeah, I would certainly be interested in in working on American projects going forward, um, or even or even British productions or Canadian productions. I I think there's certainly um, 
room to to grow and to collaborate internationally. Here's a, a, a question that may sound random and, and out of left field, but I'm going to go for it. Um, <laughs> because I am a big fan of, of Conor McGregor uh, from, from MMA, uh, the UFC. And I bring him up because he, to me, is an Irish export. And he has made it a real big name in the United States, whether it's his fighting, his whiskey, he's brought this sort of sensibility that he put Ireland on the map in terms of the storytelling. Again, goes back to his genius for storytelling. I think he's where he's at. And for people who don't know who Conor McGregor is, he's a, a an MMA a fighter, a, a very good fighter, very popular here in the United States. And I think about him in terms of what we see here in the U.S., but as Irish people, are you aware of Conor McGregor and are you aware uh, of how real he is in Ireland versus what he is portraying in the bigger world? Do, do you both uh, follow who he is or know anything about Conor McGregor? Ireland would know Conor McGregor quite well. I'm not a, an MMA. Uh, I don't follow MMA, but um, it's, yeah, I think it's just a kind of that Connor in a way is like an extension of the idea that like there is just such a strong sense of character with Irish people that like um like you, you even see it with like actors now like Barry Keown and like Paul Mescal and like just all these in in all these different fields that there is such a strong Irish presence and like we I think there is something that that I think resonates with like non-Irish people. I don't know. There's like some, I don't know if it's just the charisma or it's charisma. just the storytelling, yeah, but there say. is like, yeah. And there's also kind of, um, I can't really put my finger on it, Bridget, but if you want to yeah, jump in. You couldn't bring up like Colin Farrell or <laughs> like oh. Enya or I don't know, some other famous Irish person. Like I, like no, I I'm I leading to something MMA. Here. Yeah, I'm leading. To, I'm I'm going somewhere with this. Um, yeah, I I I wouldn't know much about MMA. Um, Conor McGregor, like Nell says, is a real uh, you know, distinct personality, and I I think one of the reasons why he probably does well, particularly in the United States, um, is because there is such a strong Irish American community in the United States. I think Irish Americans kind of have this um, desire to feel connected to the homeland. And so, you know, someone with his personality um, or any Irish person in any kind of athletic or artistic field, um, it's an easy person to root for because a lot of Americans claim Irish heritage. I bring him up and it was a random thought because we were talking uh, in that direction. I bring him up because he's a brandable export from Ireland. And I think about Vietnamese or even Filipino. You know, I think for the Filipino, there's a, a, a real clear brandable export in the U.S. When we think about uh, Filipinos, very talented with music, very talented with dancing. Um, and I think about the Vietnamese and I don't. I'm still searching for what that brandable export trait is. When we think about Conor McGregor, we think about this boisterous, flamboyant, charismatic, highly charismatic person. Uh, you know, he's won and lost a lot of fights, uh, but 
what we always remember is there's something about his Irishness that comes to the screen. And I'm wondering, as both of you are uh, of mixed heritage, you know, over the years, is this something that will be lost? Uh, you know, I think, uh, Nell, you you identify more as a, a, an Irish person. But, you know, for Bridget, you're Vietnamese, Irish, American, all these three things. What will happen when multiple cultures come together to be exported into the world? I think about that very often when Vietnamese and another culture come together, are we, will it be watered down or what kind of beauty comes from this? And I, and I really bank on the idea of there's a beautiful uh, narrative that comes from the, the, the blending of cultures as well. So I, I'd get, like to get your thoughts on, on sort of a brandable export uh, culturally coming from Ireland, from mixed heritages. I, I'm going to put on my history hat for a moment. So mm. I've studied history um, two degrees. So um, this is just my theory. So um, Irish Americans, I think, have this idea of what Ireland is. And it's kind of a caricature version of Ireland, you know, like leprechauns and pots of gold and like green fields and sheep and kind like the old country uh which is definitely not true of Ireland today I Ireland's a very modern country and very diverse and um very technologically advanced so I think, you know, the big wave of Irish people that came to the United States now this is I have absolutely nothing to back up this is just my like hypothesis um i i think because the large group of immigration that came to the united states was in the late 19th century you've had multiple generations um to establish themselves in the united states and like as you become more and more quote unquote american there's this desire to hold on to a culture and that culture becomes more and more of like a caricature of itself. Like mm -hmm. you hold on, my book spell, um, you hold on to um, things uh, that uh, become like, like St. Patrick's Day, you know, you, you there's certain very visible things that are, are cultural identifiers. And because you have those multiple generations establishing themselves. They are then able to create art to interpret that. And I think the Vietnamese, because it's only our parents who have just immigrated, it's they came to the United States to survive in order for us to thrive. And so it's like my generation and maybe my kids' generations that are gonna start making art that um, really uh, will begin to, um, you know, inspect like what it means to be Vietnamese. And I think maybe we'll see in the future generations something coming out of that. And I don't really know what it is, but uh, that's kind of my like theory that I've, I've kind I've developed. So um, a bit complicated, but. 
Yeah, we're like a, a copy of a copy of a copy when you get down to the generations that commemorate what they thought were, you know, identifiers of, of a the cultural, the homeland um, signif sig signifiers, right? Yeah, it's a bit like fixed in time or something. I think like I was having a conversation with a, a producer here, a theatrical producer, and we were kind of talking about how Irish American theater seems to be stuck in the potato famine. And I suppose maybe with the Vietnamese, you could kind of say the same thing. Like a lot of our art um, is based off of like the Vietnam War and uh, our parents' experiences as like refugees. So I, I think it will take some time to uh, make further art and um, tell more stories that aren't fixated on that point in time. Um, I was having to think about it. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting question. Um, I think I can only really speak from my own experience, but um, I think there's certain things of when we talk about intergeneration, intergenerations and how culture kind of goes through the different generations. Like there's certain things that I think will definitely live on. Like I, for me and my Filipino heritage, it's like food. And like, actually my mom came to live with me for about a week last week. Cause we kind of had a Filipino immersive week where we watched a bunch of Filipino films and listened to music and she cooked all these Filipino dishes. And it's kind of, it's meant to, I, I'm trying to say it's, it's gonna help me uh, write my feature film, but I also just wanted her to cook for me for a week. So, um, but it was like, I think that that's something that's very accessible regardless of like, um, like like food. And it was actually something we really noticed during, when we were at the Viet Film Festival, like so many of the films, food is such like a big thing to to connect over among cultures and and even if because language I think is something that I think we, is, is the toughest thing to to carry over like I I try to speak Tagalog with my mom but because it's only her it's and and I speak English you know otherwise and and even here in Ireland like we don't speak Irish as a nation really like there are certain areas called the Gwail Talks where like they would speak Irish, but like, it's really, it's really a dying language. And I think that's possibly the saddest thing um, about uh, as, as we go, as we move through the different generations. But I think that there is then like, there's food and there's music and there's other ways to kind of connect and explore your culture that, that will live on or that are, that are easier to pass on as we do become a more globalized um, society, I suppose. I have a few more questions, but I want to return back to the 212 Vietnamese. Is there an organized community of the that Vietnamese sort of like that wave or um, are there, you know, a bigger community uh, with subsequent waves? There is a bigger community with subsequent sub, <laughs> subsequent waves. Um, I I can't give you an exact figure, but I do think there's a few thousand Vietnamese in Ireland and um, from immigration from that point. Uh, and the the community um, is is led by there's a Vietnamese Irish Association. And so I know they have a strong um, close knit uh like group that that come together to to celebrate um Vietnamese holidays and things like that but yes the the community has grown since that period 
what future collaborations can we expect from both of you? And is there another collaboration uh, with, with you both? Yeah, so as, as we kind of mentioned, we are working, we're writing a, a feature film version of Good Chips. Um, mm -hmm. Even from the beginning, when we kind of was first talking about the story, we, we felt that there was so much more to the world and so much more to the characters that we couldn't explore you know, we were so limited by 15 minutes or, or whatever, you know, the short format was. And actually, when we were in the initial development process, there was a lot of things we had to drop that we really, really liked. And we really felt like, oh, I'd love to explore this a bit more. So we're kind of our kind of catchphrase is like, oh, we'll save it for the feature. So now we're actually writing the feature. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, we like Bridget and I, we haven't made a feature film yet, but it's it's something that we're, we're very uh, adamant about doing it. But I mean, so far so good. It's it's a long process. Obviously, you know, it's it's not going to be like the shorts where we turn it around in a year or two. It's it's kind of in it for the long haul. But um, I think just the fact that we're still so excited by it just goes to show that it's um, it's worth doing. And every like we've taken the film so many places now. We were in Paris there. Uh, we were up in Belfast in Northern Ireland, and like every every screening we went to, there was a question or someone came up to us and they were like is there going to be more like would love to see a feature so i think the audience response to the short has been really encouraging in that way so yes we will continue to uh work together one uh, one quick on. one quick inherent problem that that i want to ask and explore is the characters will grow up in the next 2 years or so is that going to be an issue with uh using the same characters using the same actors it all depends it like you never it's kind of like asking how long is a piece of string like we don't know I mean we love the cast that we had for Good Chips and, and like that's kind of a reason why we are very much diving in now and trying to get it off the ground uh, as quick as we can but it's it it's factors beyond our control really like to find finance and all that so it, it all kind of depends. What Nell said uh, making a feature film is a very long process so there's just so many factors that um, are beyond our control. Once again, congratulations on a job very well done. And I look forward to work that you both put out together or individually. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having us, Kenneth. Ah, thanks, Ken. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. Special thanks to Brittany Tran, to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast.